This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single origin cream. My husband, he couldn't get the time off work and probably two weeks before I was set to fly, my husband contracted COVID. So we went through the whole year, you know, protesting every day and nothing. And then two weeks before I'm set to fly, he contracted COVID, so I was I, I just tested every single day because I was just so stressed that I was going to get it. Yeah, which was really scary because, you know, he's one of these people that doesn't usually get sick ever. And it was, it knocked him out. This week on Dirty Linen, we are putting an optimistic spin on things, talking to people from all around the place who've done all kinds of things and had very interesting pandemics. One of those people is Chef Rebecca Pedler, who is recently out of quarantine and I think is really enjoying traipsing around freely in the streets of Melbourne. Rebecca, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much for having me. So you've done hotel quarantine in Sydney. What was that like? It was actually really hard the first five days. Um, I didn't have a balcony or uh, access to a window that opened. So I really struggled with the lack of fresh air. And actually on day five, I woke up and had a panic attack just because, oh. yeah, it was, it was really full on. But then by day six, I actually acclimatised to it all. So it got easier and it was quite a good program. I had a um, psychologist, a mental health nurse and a doctor ring every single day just to check up on me and just see how it's all going. You know, we have three meals a day, which was pretty good. So, I mean... There, there are worse um, places, I guess, to do quarantine. I felt like we were pretty well looked after, but the lack of fresh air was definitely a killer. Yeah. Well, good on you for getting through it. I mean, it, it's interesting, I suppose, in terms of what we can get used to as humans where you, your body and mind sort of rebels against it and then, yeah, you were able to settle into it in a way and it's great to hear that you're well supported. Um, especially because I know that you've had a pretty crazy year um, and you've been, you spent most of that time in one of, you know, the world's most famous restaurants, which itself has gone through one of the most tumultuous and extraordinary years in its history. So I would love to just hear all about it. So <laughs> where shall we start, Rebecca? Do you want to tell us where you were working in New York? Well, Around March, I remember it was, I remember hearing from chefs in Australia about COVID and it wasn't really the forefront of the news there yet, or maybe it was the end of Feb. Um, you know, a lot of the chefs were talking about people boycotting Chinatown here in relation to COVID. And I just thought that was unbelievable. The, you know, the Trump government, tried to suppress what was happening. So we didn't really, it all sort of happened very quickly. Uh, the restaurant closed down and then everyone was let go. It, it felt like, you know, a matter of a week, it all happened. So we were all locked down, a hard lockdown all of a sudden. And 
we were probably locked down for two months and one of the uh, research and development chefs at 11 Madison Park and the pastry chef devised this idea because there were so many suppliers with so much excess stock just sitting there. They decided to try and make use of it and make use of the kitchen and also give some of the cooks who, you know, going from working 12 to 16 hour days to nothing. It's a huge adjustment. It's sort of a shock to the system. So they came up with this idea to use this excess food to create meals to um, give to homeless people, school children and the hospital workers. So we all went back into the uh, kitchen there and we started cooking basic food, you know, um, a protein, a vegetable and some kind of starch and then pack them up and then they would be billeted out to different churches or different school um, schools or hospitals around the city at that time. So it was, you know, it helped us as well to get back into some kind of um, social situation and obviously it helped a lot of other people as well. So, so you're working at 11 Madison Park, which, you know, is one of, you know, uh, many times on the world, you know, in the top one, two or three of the world's best restaurants. Um, it's a extraordinary fine dining machine with dozens of chefs um, feeding people, you know, extravagant meals, people celebrating, people doing deals. I mean, can you just give us a sense of the difference between what you were doing there as a chef pre-pandemic and the kinds of tasks that were in front of you during the pandemic? So the it was an amazing place to work. It was I when people would ask me, you know, what's it like to be there? It was like a chef utopia. The um we would have all different sorts of things happening um, every season. They would have a, a chef, a cook battle. So all of the cooks get to create a dish of their own and submit the idea and, you know, the top eight would get picked and then those top eight would sort of go off against each other and there'd be a winner. Wow. Um, yeah, so great. That was really cool to be a part of. Um, you know, there'd be a, a, a large meeting every day where everyone is involved. It doesn't sort of matter your level. Um, everyone's input is important. The family meal was a huge deal. So, you know, that was very important to them. So it was just this environment that I had never really been in, in the kitchen. And so going from that to working with these huge 20 kilo buckets where your whole arms are in there just like mixing these huge pasta salads and you know wearing these like long gloves that farmers would use for a cow um wow. it was, <laughs> yeah and also when we had to go back while we were doing these uh to-go meals for all of the uh, hospital workers and whatnot we were in full ppe gear so head to toe covered um you would have to fill a questionnaire every single day you know temperature all of these kinds of things so as well, actually going into the city, it was a completely different experience because we seem to be the only people out and about, um, as well as the other 
essential workers. Everyone was home. And that was actually a very bizarre experience because, uh, you know, New York is such a energetic place. The, there's always something happening. And to go from that to like tumbleweeds in the city, it was, it was kind of scary actually. Well, I mean, and also New York, I mean, this is, I guess we're talking a year ago as we talk now in middle of April, 2021. I mean, New York was an, like, it was an absolute health disaster. I mean, it, it, there was so many people sick and dying. I mean, I'm just sort of imagining that you were hearing sirens all the time as well. And I mean, is that, you know, am I making it up or was, it, was there a sense of this health crisis as well? It was exactly that. It was sirens. It felt like every two minutes it was just non-relenting with sirens. And then there was all of the images of these huge trenches being dug out. Um, And then as well they had to pull in all of these refrigerated trucks that were parked around the city because the morgues were full. Uh, They had to, the equivalent of Jeff's shed, over there, which is called the Javits Center. They had to create these makeshift hospitals. So they had, you know, like you see in movies with the partitions and the stretches and just ventilators just set up. It was, it was very full on. And especially people who had family there, um, you know, if you're a young person contracting COVID, it's bad, but as an older person, it's, actually very scary so you don't know if you're going to make it or not it's so intense i mean and i mean how long had you been working at 11 madison park before all this happened so i was there i got there 20 mid 2018 okay so you'd been there a while so were you feeling pretty settled in new york yeah it was it it was such a cool place to be um I'm from Melbourne, so, you know, Melbourne's considered a big city in Australia, but it felt like a small town in comparison to New York. All the cliches, um, you know, it's a 24-hour city and you can get anything at any time and especially being a cook, you know, finishing late at night, there's so many options of things to do and places to eat and to go from that to nothing, it was it was very, very scary. And what was the financial model for doing these um, aid meals? Was it, um, yeah, like were you guys being paid? How was it being funded? Yeah, so we were being paid. So it was a collaboration between a company called Rethink and this is their business. So they were doing this before the pandemic where they would actually come to 11 Madison Park one day a week and we'd have like a little corner in the cool room where we'd have, you know, excess stock or things that we weren't going to use and then they would come along and then they would collect those things and then take them back to their central kitchen to try and rejig them into other meals. So they sort of had all the systems set up in place already Um, and then we had the facilities at the 11 Madison Park kitchen where we could do it on a a different scale and pump out even more meals for them and you know it was really cool for them rethink as well for us to be involved so yeah and I mean it's 
there were so many massive things that happened that year. I mean, I just can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the centre of New York. It's changed so much and, of course, you know, really like the biggest, like the world, one of the world's most famous cities, you know, so many people have been there and feel connected to it and to be, to have so many people dying there. And of course, yeah, to be working with people who were worried for their families, I'm sure terrified about taking the virus home. But then, you know, the months rolled on and Black Lives Matter was a huge deal in New York. Can you tell me about that and how that impacted you? So that was a huge deal. The the city just decided that uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was more important than COVID and the streets every day were taken over by protests and marches and rallies. Um, the, the city became boarded up, so all of the buildings everywhere ours included, had wooden boards that were attached to all of the fronts of the buildings because I just want to make this clear, there was a different group of people, not the people protesting for the Black Lives Matter movement, a different group of people who were sort of taking advantage of the situation and coming into the city and looting. So they actually happened once right in front of my eyes. We were walking along in a protest and a group of people just came out of nowhere, it seemed, and then just started smashing windows in Soho of random shops and buildings. And then it was like uh, an army of mice just crawling in and grabbing whatever they could and then running out. And this was happening all over the city. So they had to board up the city. And so (laughs) that in itself was really bizarre because it was like this wooden town. It was like this weird European little wooden town that um, was just unrecognisable in itself. So that uh, really affected us because... You know, we also were feeding the protesters. We decided that uh, as well as feeding the school children and whatnot, we'd go out and feed the protesters, which, you know, they were very um, grateful for. And a lot of people were concerned about COVID at that time because it was still very prevalent and there was huge groups of people sort of coming together. But we just felt like it was more important. But it's it's just so much. I mean, in amongst all this, of course, there's Trump. And (laughs) I'm so happy that we can be in 2021 and, you know, he is no longer president and who knows what's going to happen in the future, but at least right now we don't have to worry about the next insane, divisive, poisonous thing that he's going to do. But what was it like being in Trump's America during a pandemic, during Black Lives Matter. I mean, there's just so much, Rebecca. It was really horrible, actually. With the election, I couldn't look at my phone because the prospect of having another four years of Trump just absolutely filled me with anxiety. Um, The rhetoric behind China and Chinese people because of Trump and his very immature language was impacting the Asian community very heavily as it still is, as I've left, you know, I've had 
um, Asian friends who have been accosted in public, just ridiculous things like people pointing at them, blaming them overtly for the coronavirus. So the thought of having Trump in power for another four years was so scary. And actually it was a really nice moment that I'll never forget. I was walking my dog and all of a sudden I hear this cheering and it sort of came from one direction and then it started to come from another direction. And then there was a guy on his balcony who unraveled this flag and it said B Y E D O N. And then I clicked like it's the announcements being made (laughs) and you know, he's no longer in power and it felt like, a fairy tale, you know, where the evil king has been overturned and there's just people rejoicing in the streets. Wow. Yeah, it was a really, really cool moment. And then um, New York was just a party uh, (laughs) because New York is a, a democratic state. So most people were very, very happy about that news. But then it kind of, you know, rolled on into all of the the crazy Trump supporters sort of saying fake news and the election was rigged and whatnot. And then the insurrection on January 6th was another huge deal. So it was a very, very full-on time, the election. And you, in January, I guess, yeah, there was the insurrection. There was another wave in New York. I mean, things were must have been so stressful. I mean, how were you feeling around then? Well, it was like the flu season. You know, everybody seemed to have COVID. People had it at work. Um, It was just so common. And I was worried about contracting COVID because um, I don't have health insurance there. So if something were to happen and it would take a turn for the worse, it is scary, you know, not having a public health system. It made me very proud to be Australian, actually. Just like the systems that we have in place here, you don't realise how much our government actually cares about us until you go somewhere else where the government just does not care. So I was... I was uh, I was worried, yeah. Um, and you mentioned to me earlier that you you weren't able to sleep. You know, things weren't you weren't feeling that good, and that you actually left the restaurant. Can you tell us about that period? Yeah, so there was a period in January because it was such a crazy year. I think it all just hit me. You know, so many different things, and I was rolling with the punches and. Uh, I started not to be able to sleep. So I was having terrible fragmented sleep, just laying awake, really wired. So then I went to go see a therapist and just had a chat with her and, you know, she wanted to know everything that's been happening and COVID changed a lot of things. And then she diagnosed me with depression. So the lack of sleep was actually so bad that I couldn't focus at work. So at that time at 11 Madison Park, we were still doing the to-go boxes um, for all of the hospital workers and whatnot, but we also had to-go boxes, like 11 Madison Park to-go boxes. So we were doing, you know, a protein and different sides and a dessert. So I had to leave just because I couldn't focus 
And then um, I decided this is a really good time to come back to Australia and just sort of reset and recharge. Um, there's not a lot happening in New York. Still, uh, still a lot of things are closed or not running at full capacity. I think it's 35% capacity at the moment. So, yeah, it was a perfect opportunity to come home and just breathe some fresh air and eat some good food. <laughs> wow, that was a massive decision. Yeah. But I just feel like, yeah, you really have been through so much. Um, yeah, what did it feel like to get on the plane to come back to Australia? It was very, very exciting. It, it's a long journey. It's It was 30 hours, uh, but you know, the prospect of being home just sort of overrid all of the, the long hours on the plane. It didn't matter. So I knew the, the end result. This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter. Batch churned from single origin cream. Like any good product, you have to start off with, with an amazing cream. Like for us, it's the, the, the raw material that matters. So where we get our cream from matters a lot. Uh, so we can't just buy your average supermarket grade cream. So you need real cream. You need basically the stuff they skim off the top of milk at a farm. And to get that product, we, we have to go to the farmers direct. So for us, we, we have to source our cream very carefully. We travel a lot to different farms to make sure that the cream we're getting is the real deal. From different areas of Australia. For more information, go to pepisayer.com.au. So, Rebecca, did you leave anyone behind in New York? Yes, my husband, he couldn't get the time off work. And actually, this is another little insult to injury. Um, Probably two weeks before I was set to fly, my husband contracted COVID. What the hell? So, oh my God. We, we went through the whole year, you know, protesting every day and nothing. And then two weeks before I'm set to fly, he contracted COVID. So I was, I, I just tested every single day because I was just so stressed that I was going to get it because that meant that. I, you know, have to forfeit my trip and already I, it was months in the planning. Um, and you know, I was worried about him as well. It, it hit him very hard. He was bedridden for eight days. Wow. Yeah. Which was really scary because, you know, he's one of these people that doesn't usually get sick ever. And it was, it knocked him out. So he had the, all the, all the symptoms. He had a sore throat, sore muscles. Then he lost his taste, lost his smell. And then he was just so sore. And also he had really shallow breathing. He was struggling to breathe. So he would just lay on the couch all day and then migrate to the bed all night. And I'm just running around after him, everything that he had touched. I was you know, sanitizing and cleaning bed sheets every second day and towels. And, um, it was, it was really scary. There was one point where I was actually, I asked him, I said, are you okay? Do you, you know, he said, I think yesterday I should have gone to a hospital, but he just tried to ride it out. 
because he was actually really struggling with the breathing and he he's a chef as well so he was very concerned about the smell and taste going away because I've had friends who have lost it for months and he was really worried about that but luckily he got it back after a couple of weeks so he's recovered now um but it was was a little bit frightening there for a bit that is really scary because i mean it's scary to watch someone that you love being so ill but also the there must have been the yeah that you desperately don't want to get it (laughs) so to look after somebody but to always want to keep that distance that must have been just so stressful well I thought it was crazy you know we slept in the same bed and I didn't contract it and and yeah that as well I just thought oh this this just fits with the year you know (laughs) I've I've not got it all this time and two weeks before I'm set to fly to Australia you know we get it so I was just so, so lucky that I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how are you sleeping now? Are you sort of feeling better at all? Yeah. You know what's funny? As soon as I had booked my ticket to Australia, my sleeping went back to normal. So it was like, I don't know, it's it's really hard to sort of say, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't worried about any one thing in particular. I think it was just a culmination of everything that had gone on in the year. And I was just fighting through, fighting through, fighting through. And then it just kind of all hit me and I was missing home. I was, you know, I was homesick because, um, it's a different, it's a different life there. The, the way people think, the way the government is and especially going through COVID, the the cracks of America were really exposed. So I just missed home. And as soon as I had that flight booked, my sleeping went back to normal. Wow. And so what have you been looking forward to and enjoying back in Australia? Just eating really. The, uh, <laughs> the You know, the food scene in Australia – is so good. It's really, really good. And I would say better, better than New York. And, you know, New York is seen as such an international place, an international city. And I think it's because our produce is so much better. One thing that I really missed while living in New York was fruit and vegetables that tasted like fruit and vegetables. Uh, I feel like a lot of the produce there is so watered down and so heavily sprayed that it just doesn't taste like it should. So I've really enjoyed just going around and eating, you know, eating all the Asian food as well. I feel like a lot of the Asian food in uh, America is whitewashed so to have some proper food here has been really, really good. Um, and what are you planning? Like, are you going to work here? Or are you going to reunite with your husband at some point? Like, what are you thinking? So I'm just here for a holiday. So I'm going back in May and we will see what the state of New York is like when I go back. Um, it was a really long winter. So that was another thing that, 
sort of made it really hard. Um, but when I go back, it will be starting to get warm. So when it starts to get warm there, the mood lifts for everybody. And I think that restaurants will slowly start to open a bit more and people feel a bit more comfortable because the vaccine rollout has been very strong there. Um, I think Biden plans for the whole of America to be vaccinated by May. So, Wow. And are you yeah. eligible as a visitor? Yeah. My husband's already been vaccinated. Awesome. Um, so I think it's 16 years and above now can be vaccinated. Yeah, they've really got that right. Um, <laughs> and we don't seem to have. Um, well, you know, there's like about a million chef jobs going in Melbourne if you have. <laughs> like there would be so Not many people who would snap me. you up. Um, I think that, you know, I've seen so many news of news of devastating closures in New York in, in terms of restaurants. It, it, how do you think that the city will recover hospitality-wise? It feels like it's been decimated. You know, the, the tip system there, um, it really doesn't work because there's been a lot of workers who are left with nothing. They don't have any kind of like JobKeeper situation like you did here. It's if you don't have savings you're in trouble. So uh, a lot of places have closed. Um, I I don't know what it's going to look like, honestly. Um, The only fine dining restaurant that I believe has sort of kept going through the whole thing is per se. 11 Madison Park has been closed for 12 months. You know, I don't, I don't see it coming back like it was, which is really, really sad. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to say because we're still in that not fully opened um, mode. So I think it's going to be a long time before it gets back to anywhere like it was. So that's also I'm really enjoying Melbourne because, you know, you guys, you did the hard yards. You had such a hard lockdown, but you're really reaping the benefits now. I know. I feel like we're so lucky and it must be really, I mean, how did it strike you? You know, like you come out of quarantine in Sydney and it's like the city just looks pretty normal. Well, I actually felt weird with not wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah. And I caught up with a friend and he goes, take your mask off. And I thought, because I've been wearing a mask for 12 months, just like uh, it's, you know, like wearing underwear. You just go outside, you've got your mask with you on. And so that felt weird. Um, But it's the cases are completely different here. I think, you know, when there's, I remember watching the news while I was in quarantine and there was one case in Byron Bay or something, a hen's party, and it was on the news, one case. (laughs) I I know, it's so different. (laughs) Yeah. We're so lucky. Um, We really are. So are you feeling like the future is bright? Are you feeling optimistic? Yeah. So sort of during the end of last year, because I had all this spare time, I sort of, I did a side hustle where I was uh, baking like basic Australian foods like lamingtons and pies and sausage rolls 
and selling them to the other homesick Australians who are stuck in New York. And <laughs> That's um, clever. Yeah, and because there's nowhere in New York to get anything like that. You know, a few people try, but it, they're trying to be too fancy. And so I did it like really basic, you know, like the bakery down the road kind of thing. And people have really resonated with it. Um, and so I'll probably go back into that when I go back and then just sort of see what the state of New York is like and just sort of keep rolling with the punches and see what happens. That's all we can do. Uh, Rebecca, it's been absolutely amazing to hear your story. Thank you so much for reaching out um, to let me know what the last year has been like for you. Um, I've loved having you on the show. Uh, and, yeah, I really wish you all the best. Please, please stay in touch. I would love to know, uh, yeah, the next chapter. Thank you so much, Danny. All right, you take care. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.